This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason Mann, and with me as usual is Rich Krejci, back for another great performance. Yes, thank you. I uh, Maybe my best performance yet on this show. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, but I, I've, I, I have all the confidence in the world going in, uh, and I think it's going to take, take a total team effort to get it done, but I feel like when it's all said and done, this will be my best performance ever. My crowning achievement yeah. and a legacy-building moment, too, so I, I can't wait. Well, both of us saw LeBron James and Kevin Durant playing really well in the series, so I, I'm confident your predictions are, <laughs> are are pretty apt in this case. Yeah, what a, what a what an NBA Finals! I mean, as far as like the games themselves, like I mean, they left a little bit to be desired for. I, I enjoyed the series as a whole. I mean, the last two games were really exciting. Um, obviously, Cleveland come back. Really, honestly, the last three games were pretty exciting. I see how some people were kind of disappointed with it because it kind of you know it only ended in you know five games and maybe the fo- a few of them weren't very close, but. I was more attracted not necessarily to who was going to win the series or whatever, but the individual performances, I think, more than anything in the series. Um, and, and that's why we're going to talk about them tonight. Or, but more than anything, I was just like super impressed with, with, with what all these guys were doing, particularly Durant, uh, LeBron, and then even, you know, Steph Curry, who's kind of the, like the, the, the left out guy who had like an incredible series on his own right, too, but seems sort of normal compared to uh, Durant and James, who, who just had like these all time, all time great uh, NBA Finals performances. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, it really was. I mean, Curry really stood out, you know, because they were so great on the court with him and not as, you know, he even had the better plus minus uh, numbers. I think throughout the playoffs and Durant did, I mean, significantly better. And, uh, it, you know, his his numbers were still, you know, pretty good uh, throughout the finals, uh, you know, almost 27 points per game, eight rebounds per game. He was getting a lot of boards. He was, um, yeah, he was getting a lot of rebounds. 9.4 assists per game, you know, only 44% from free field goal percentage, which isn't like terrific, but it's still, you know, 38, almost 39% from three, which, you know, by his standards is <laughs> awesome, but is you're pretty good by anybody else. It's pretty great that like just under 40% three point. We're like, ah, you know, like it's all right. Like, and like his worst game, he had, um, 
it was game four that he had kind of a dud and he went like 14, five and 10. It's like, that's, you know, uh, and that was like an absolute, like, oh man, Steph Curry just did not assert himself at all in this game. And it like 14, five and 10, still not bad for a guy that wasn't doing much, but yeah, he, he had a, a great series, but really it was all about Durant and LeBron who, who just all time great numbers that they put up. Yeah, I mean, just really terrific um, all-around games for uh, both guys. I mean, Durant with, you know, 35 points per game, uh, 55% from the field, 47.4% per, uh, <laughs> from three, uh, you know, average game score of 30, which is amazing. And LeBron, I mean, was arguably better in the series, um, you know, 30, uh, 3.6 points per game, 12 rebounds, 10 assists, 57% almost from field goal percentage, 39% from three, which not necessarily always a strong suit. And, you know, average game score of 29 before so right there in terms of game score but I, I think you know of course he had to do more I mean Durant one of the benefits of going to the Warriors is he didn't have to do quite as much he'd have to do quite as much as played although honestly I, I don't see how anyone could say that Durant like didn't have more to do with this championship than any other player on mm-hmm. on you know the Warriors you, you could maybe argue Steph but I mean he really was the standout guy here, took it on his shoulders. He wasn't along for the ride. He was doing plenty to earn it. You know, maybe again, having that team around him gives him an easier path than a lot of guys to their first championship. And that's fine. But I don't really see where it doesn't feel devalued to me. I guess if you have strong feelings about the fact that Durant joining the Warriors was, you know, like a, um, wussing out type move then maybe you would but i i don't obviously we've talked about how we don't really uh see it that way and i i think that like we've talked about before i think it's going to be interesting to see the challenge that the warriors now have in trying to build this team and competing with the other great dynasties of all time because they're absolutely you know those guys are in their late 20s they're absolutely uh, you know, in in as good a shape as anybody to, you know, carry themselves, you know, over the next four or five years and being in competing for a championship, you know, almost every year. Obviously, a lot of unknowns in that situation, injuries, how other teams are going to form, whether, you know, some other amazing collection of talent is going to happen. It's hard to imagine it competing with the Warriors or being better than the Warriors, but you, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, and and your earlier point about Durant, you know, kind of taking load and, and and becoming the guy for the Warriors was was something that you and I talked about when the signing initially went down, and we had an episode where we were kind of discussing it a little bit. And uh, the thing that I kept bringing up and, and and remembering was that first LeBron championship with Miami. I mean, that first year with Miami, it was a little rough because it was kind of the okay, you know, there's only one ball in this court. Who takes it in this moment? Who does this? And and there was some awkwardness there. And they obviously they did not win the NBA Finals in their first you know season. They got there, uh, they put up a really good fight, but you know they didn't win it. And then that second year, it was clear that LeBron was the man. And then, yeah, it made it maybe a little bit easier when you have Wade and Bosch and, and you know, cast of good veterans and role players or whatever. But there's no denying that that LeBron just kind of took that entire thing by the horns and 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 became the man. And, and yeah, he was the focal point. He was the reason why they won that second championship. And then, you know, would obviously go back to back or whatever. And that's exactly what happened with Durant, where Durant, you know, we had worried maybe for a little bit of, oh, how's he going to fit in? What's he going to do? You know, how is it? And it didn't matter at all. I mean, it was essentially just Steph Curry being able to to kind of be okay with being a little bit in the background. I mean, obviously, yeah, Steph Curry plays a huge role in giving Kevin Durant, you know, open shots and, and spreading the floor and keeping, you know, space and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and as does Draymond and as does Clay and uh, a lot of the guys on the roster too. But when it was all said and done, and now that we've, you know, these finals have ended, it, the, the the narrative now is, oh, geez, well, Kevin Durant's really good. Like, geez, that, you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, maybe it was a little bit of an easier path, but he is arguably the reason 
the biggest reason why they won. And 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 that does a lot for the legacy, you know, the quote unquote legacy thing as well. I mean, I remember that first LeBron year, it was like, you know, oh, I don't know. He went to Miami. They didn't, and then that second year, it's just he dominated. It's like, oh, okay, he, he's pretty good. And and he was the best player on a team that won a championship. And that's that's an important thing to do. And and, and Durant finally got over that hump a little bit. And uh, it's been interesting. I mean, a few months ago, we were talking about how the Durant, LeBron James, you know, feud has never really ignited. And now, I mean, I, geez, after this finals, it's like, all right, let's go. Like, I, I'm down for another five years of these two guys, you know, battling at the peak of their powers with the peak uh, with, with the teams they're with too so uh no just an awesome performance by Durant and really uh silenced a lot of the I, I wouldn't say critics because I don't know if he necessarily had critics but at least changed a little bit of the narrative around him his career and his decision to go to the Warriors yeah and I think that um you know we had a show uh beginning of the season where we talked about okay what would Durant have to do to get himself in the greatest of all time conversation. I mean, obviously he's, he's behind, you know, LeBron and uh, you know, some of the guys, I mean, he's still you know, relatively, he still has a lot of his career ahead of him. And um, I, I think he got about as good of a start as he could have it reasonably expected to do. I mean, even the regular season, you know, he wasn't really talked about with MVP with, you know, the, the types of seasons that Westbrook and, and Harden and other guys were having, but he was, you know, amazingly effective during the season. And, and this postseason, I mean, he's just had an incredible postseason, especially the finals, you know, among the all time great um, performances. And I, I think that, um, you know, it, it sends some, you know, I don't know if validation is quite the right word, but it certainly supports like, okay, he knew what he was doing when he um, made the move and it, it worked out just about as well as he can. And I think he's, has a stepping stone now. I still think it's it's a he's a long way to go and a lot of things to do, but I, I think he's now like at a point where maybe you can see that direction shifting a little bit in Durant. If he keeps performing like this for a long time, he's going to be you know among that short list of all time greats, if not in the conversation for absolute you know best of all time. Yeah, and he's he's absolutely already there as like the all time great you know score or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying that he is the best or whatever, but I mean, he he I, I don't see any reason why you know in a few years we're not anointing okay Kevin Durant is the best like pure scorer in the NBA. And we've said that even before this year. I mean, he was already right up there. Um, and and we've done a show about you know talking about him and and, and where he he sits all time in terms of that. So he's he's already kind of punched his ticket as as, as an all time great scorer. And now it's interesting to see him uh, sort of refine that a little bit and get into the conversation as you know maybe not the all time great, maybe not top five, but at least he's going to get himself in that conversation um though we put him in the top 50 uh, two summers ago and and yes, i don't feel yeah. like we I, didn't, I i mean obviously he's only going to improve upon that but i didn't feel like we were out of line doing that either i mean he had already kind of shown that he was one of those guys so uh now it's just kind of adding on and building that legacy but uh yeah these NBA finals are going to go down certainly as as the turning point uh, in a lot of ways of his career and and uh yeah as, as one of the best you know all-time you know finals performances this will i'm sure when you know when we're doing this show again in in 25 years or whatever on whatever format you know uh, audio is on. We'll we'll bring this uh, Kevin Durant 2017 NBA Finals up. So uh, I look forward to talking to you at uh, June yeah. the 14th. You know, <laughs> whatever the hell year. Yeah, you know, many many sure. years from now. Well, may, so. well, maybe you know, like 70 years in the future, as we're looking 70 years in the past to the uh, very first uh, BAA Finals, yes, where uh, the Warriors won their very first championship when they were in <laughs> Philadelphia. Uh, Jumping Joel Folks, who was the uh, leading scorer that season, one of the great early scorers in um, BA and and in, in NBA once they merged with the uh, NBL. And um, the uh, Philadelphia Warriors beat the Chicago Stags, also a 4-1 uh, series in the uh, finals. Uh, the of course, parallels. 
Yes, this is the day. This is before, of course, before the Bulls. The Bulls were an expansion team in uh, the late 60s. This was the first attempt and at a Chicago team in the league. Uh, and the Stags, they had a Chick, a Chet, a Chuck, a Wilbert, a Doyle, and a Max. Very Chicago team. If <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's just yeah. like they just found like pipe fitters and got them to play basketball, which is incredible because yes. they got all the way yeah. to, the, uh, to the finals. I just love that. that I, I miss like, like that is amazing. In the 40s, like that was your roster was, was you know, Chit, Chuck, Chuck, Wilbert, Doyle, and Max. Like, yes, the there you go. Yeah. You got a Mickey and in there, too. So. Folks too. Yeah, there's Mickey in there. And then, like, and then somebody has the name Jumpin' Joel Folks. Like, you know what I mean? That, that's sure. where, you know, now we got, we have no nicknames anymore. It's garbage. Yeah. You know? Well, no one jumped except for him. I mean, he was really one of the first guys. <laughs> that is true. As we found out in, uh, in, in Sean Fury's great book. Uh, yes. Rise and Fire about like this guy jumped in a shot and people were like what what are you doing <laughs> like what do you, why yeah. are you doing that like stop yeah it was a handful of uh, of guys who did that yeah and I if I remember correctly the story why he developed the jump shot is because the, uh, the he would play on you know like the the floors of dance halls that were so slippery that it you know he couldn't get like stable footing on a shot so it made more sense for him to jump to be able to yeah, actually you know be able to be in a position where you know he could make that shot so uh it's funny how the inventiveness happened but yeah, yeah it was absolutely yeah. against you know the traditional thinking of the time to jump when you uh, were shooting and he was the great uh, scorer of his time in his finals he averaged 26.2 Points and he had 37 points in game one, 34 points in game five in the clincher. And the second leading score in the series only had 14.4 points. Uh, Chick Halbert of the Stags. So that's mm-hmm. almost doubled the production of that's prolific uh, scoring. Yeah, folks was prolific at scoring. Uh, when, when you really look at absolutely. the numbers and the time in the air and stuff, I mean, yeah. those, those numbers are not, uh, not to be uh, uh, downplayed, those are huge numbers. Yeah, he had the scoring, uh, the all-time uh, single-game scoring uh, record for almost a decade before Baylor broke it in the late '50s. So, I mean, he was mm-hmm. absolutely, you know, even had a mic in in terms of you know his best game. So, and it was, you know, like I said, a, a tremendous score in an era which you know the the point totals ended up being pretty low because you know it was pre-shot clock and and uh, all that. Yeah, and then you're speaking of George Mike in 1950, he had an incredible NBA Finals performance. This was uh, Mike in helping the Minneapolis Lakers win their second straight NBA championship. Uh, they defeated in this series the Syracuse Nationals four games to two. Uh, George Mike uh, scored 37 of the Lakers, 68 points in game one, and dropped another 40 in the final game of the series, all told for the entire series. Mike averaged 32.2 points per game, which again is, is, is prolific scoring again for that era. And, and just another, uh, you know, Mike building that dynasty of, of the Minneapolis Lakers with him being, you know, Know, the 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 first you know arguable star of the NBA in a lot of ways so yeah and um it was really yeah I mean he he that was a very you know complete team as we've talked about in the past but he absolutely was and I think we talked about it a little bit before but I, no one has really com- combined in NBA history the the level of individual and team dominance that Mikan was able to achieve in, in in all facets. I mean, obviously the Celtics and Russell had that great team dominance, but he was never a huge scorer, you know, in his era. And obviously Mikan played in a completely different time, even you know what Russell played in just a few years later because of the shot clock and you know the um, the athleticism and and so forth that you know, came into the league in the late fifties. But uh, it's still really impressive to see what Mikan did, even if you know obviously we have to take some things. You have to consider the era that. He he played in as well sure absolutely so next is uh elgin baylor of course one of the great scorers of the uh, late 50s and early 60s really uh an offensive pioneer in terms of athleticism and, and you know what he could do with the ball and um and, and 
being willing to leap and you know and making that a weapon and all you know his great moves and stuff. And uh, in the seven game series against the Celtics, he scored 284 points, which is a record that still stands. He also um, set a Finals record, scored 61 points in a game five that still has not been broken. Um, his lowest total was game six where he only scored 34 points. So yeah. Ooh, what, a, yeah. what a bum. <laughs> yeah. yes. Jeez. Can't get 40. Come on, man. Yes. And, uh, and then Baylor in game seven scored 41, but unfortunately the uh, Lakers lost to the Celtics. Uh, Frank Selvi, unfortunately could not make an open shot. And even the, uh, the Lakers lost in overtime. One of those many heartbreaking losses that we've uh, talked about, but yeah, during the series average 40.6 points per game, <laughs> Uh, 17.9 rebounds per game, 3.7 assists per game for good measure. So not too bad. Elgin Baylor, eh, pretty good. Yeah, Elgin Baylor, good. And uh, yeah, Lakers uh, would eventually... Uh, poor, poor Lakers. <laughs> I'm starting to gain an extra... As, as we're going more and more in the show, like, you know, I obviously don't like the Lakers, but just, you know, seeing what they went through in the 60s, it's just heartbreaking. Like, every year, it's just like, ah, oh, come on. Like, just can't make the finals. And, and I cannot imagine in, the, in today's hot take era what would happen if those Lakers teams always went to the finals and always lost them, can you even fathom what the, the narratives around Jerry West would be or the narratives around Elgin Baylor? It'd be horrible, but you know, instead they just made him a logo because they thought, you know, he was, cause he still, he was still very good. So they recognize him, but we'll talk about the uh, talk about Mr. Jerry West here in a little bit. So I won't spoil it too much here. Uh, but our next performance here, Wilt Chamberlain, 1967. Uh, what was arguably more impressive in the series prior? Uh, he and the Celtic or the uh, 76ers rather uh, defeated their old foe, the Boston Celtics in five games. And this uh, broke the Celtic streak uh, of eight consecutive NBA titles uh, in doing so. And, and, you know, defeating the Celtics uh, and then in the NBA finals in six games, Chamberlain pulled down 171 rebounds. That was an average of 20, 8.5 per game. Uh, Wilt only scored 17.7 points per game, but he shot 56 from the field. Uh, and Philadelphia in six games defeated uh, Wilt's old team, the San Francisco Warriors. And now this was a year where uh, Alex Hanum, I believe, didn't he challenge Wilt to kind of be a little bit more versatile on the court? And this was kind of that weird era where Wilt was kind of hesitant to be the big time Wilt score guy and wanted to do a little bit more on the court. I, I'm I got my timeline correct, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, basically, yes. I mean, yeah, this was definitely the time in which you really in the second phase of his career, Wilt was much more of a playmaker than a dominant score. He certainly had incredibly great scoring nights, but it was less routine and it was more he was kind of working within the system of the offense, you know, particularly in, in the case of the uh, 76ers. And they had some other great players, you know, Hal Greer, Billy Cunningham, guys who could, you know, make shots on their own Chet Walker. And then obviously moving on to the Lakers, they had West and Baylor who were impressive scorers. So Chamberlain, you took a little bit of a step back in terms of the uh, of the scoring load um, during that time. But he absolutely, uh, you know, he, he, he could do kind of do it all um, and was eager to, I believe it was 68 where he actually, um, he did lead the league in assists per game. I believe it was second in the league. He was very high in uh, that, that level. Um, of doing that and we tried to actually you know, demonstrate that he could do that. And, and the uh, Sixers came close to repeating that year. They were not, uh, really impressive that year was uh, Billy Cunningham's injury that actually, you know, kind of kept them from having a chance to repeat. And, you know, obviously the Celtics guile and pluck and all that good stuff too. And and for the record, if people don't know this, this 66, 67, 76ers team that we're, we're talking about here, this is the one that went seven, uh, 68 and 13 as well. And had, you know, the, right. Uh, just a, a massive, you know, a, collection of different like win streaks throughout the year and just was an awesome all-around team and and, and really arguably one of the better teams in the NBA history and, and and for a while were you know probably the best team in NBA history for uh you know quite a while until a few other teams kind of popped up here and there but uh, one of the early uh great 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 teams of of, of NBA lore so 
Yeah, and uh, Curtis Harris and I did an episode looking at that team and also talking about the uh, big project that he's doing, Spirit of the Champion, uh, which you can uh, Google and find fairly easy. It's through the uh, the 76ers team he's actually working for, and they have a website uh, for it, which is definitely worth checking out if you want to know more about that team and their really important NBA history. So it, you, you probably should if you get a chance. But You absolutely should, yeah. Yeah. Um, another, uh, another important team in NBA history, the 69 um, – uh, Los Angeles Lakers uh, with uh, Jerry West, of course, as we mentioned, uh, Baylor Chamberlain had joined that team that season. And uh, this is famously the uh, this was uh, Bill Russell's final series going out as a champion against the uh, Lakers, you know, breaking Jerry West and everyone's heart for the uh, final time. Um, West had an incredible series. Uh Average uh, 37.9 points per game, 4.7 rebounds per game, uh, 7.4 assists per game. The first two games, he scored 53 and 41 and uh, was the only player ever to win a finals MVP despite losing in the series. In fact, this was the first year that the finals MVP was actually awarded. So um, he uh, he managed to do it first and uh, it has not been done since. I think really the only time it's ever particularly come close was a couple years ago with uh LeBron in the 2015 yeah. finals when he, you know, he was so shorthanded and doing so much in uh, that series, um, you know, and, and we might talk about that a little bit about that in a little bit, but. Um, and yeah, he should have won. I mean, yeah. I liked Andre Godala, but no, that, that was yeah. LeBron's MVP, but I get yeah, the optics I mean, I, of not wanting to like have, you know, the trophy, you know, giving them the NBA trophy. And then you're like, all right, LeBron, get up here. Here's your trophy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I understand why they don't do it, but uh, yeah, it's. Gotcha. Yeah, even you, you could argue. I mean, LeBron was not particularly efficient in that series, so that that's one kind of ding against there as compared to some of his other finals performances. But he, he you know, he was doing so much in that case in West, to a degree. Even though he obviously had help from Baylor, Chamberlain, and, and you know some of the other guys on the uh, team, although they did not have much depth after trading for Chamberlain, they lost a lot of their really good supporting supporting cast. So not a whole lot of big names outside of that. But despite you having those guys. Uh, you know, uh, having those guys wested, you know, so much in that series, you know, Baylor was only averaging 18 points per game at age 34 Chamberlain, 25 rebounds per game, but only 11.7 points per game yeah. in that series. So um, at age 32, so all those guys were, you know, kind of getting older and uh, uh, you know, West was taking you know, the scoring load addition to all of the stuff he was doing as well. And then we just have to go to the next year now for 1974. Yet another uh, all-time performance. It's Walt Frazier from the Knicks. Uh, interestingly enough, Walt Frazier, he struggled a lot in game one. He scored only six points and dished out only uh, six assists as well. Uh, so not great for him, but he would quickly fix that. The rest of the series, he averaged 19.5 points per game, 11.2 assists per game, and 8.2 rebounds per game. Uh, most notably, though, is is the famous game seven performance by Frazier. And, and, you know, maybe Willis Reed too. But Frazier, you know, a little bit more. Uh, he scored 36 points, dished out 19 assists, and the Knicks. Knicks. Uh, they won 113 to 99. And of course, the Knicks win an NBA championship. So a huge moment for the city of New York and a huge uh, moment for Walt Frazier to kind of step up in that respect. And uh, Willis Reed, who, you know, was interviewed right after the game or, or shortly after the game by Sport Magazine. Uh, and his quote, which was really interesting, was it's Clyde's ball. He just lets us play with it once in a while. So, yeah, I, I, I always wonder about Frazier that. If he had, you know, that 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 Knicks team was so well known for being, you know, sharing the ball and being egalitarian, and for all of these great players kind of coming together and playing, you know, the perfect game, quote unquote. I do wonder what Frazier would have looked like in a context in which he individually had to do more, because I, I think there was a little bit that was left on the table in terms of. I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't trade it for anything, you know, being in New York and being part of the, that team that's you know so mythologized and all that. But I, I, I just wonder. I, 
you know, what uh, he would have looked like kind of in a different, um, if that limited some of his individual brilliance, even if it you probably benefited him from, you know, being part of that great team. Hey, you wish you, you would like to see him a little bit more in a free flowing offense where one that he's kind of controlling a little bit more on his respect because yeah, he was super talented and just had so many skills and was so uh, athletic and smart that you, you do wonder what he was, what he would be capable of if he wasn't. Yeah. Like I, I totally get that. But yeah, like you're saying, it's hard to sort of leave, you know, take him out of there or say that it was any, you know, in any way, uh, you know, throttling him whatsoever, maybe throttling, you know, our personal enjoyment of him or, or, you know, what he was potentially capable of, but you know, when he had so much success and, and yeah, I don't think he would trade, you know, leaving New York in, in the, prime of the seventies and, and getting so many books and documentaries written about him and, you know, having a job for life uh, in New York. I'm sure he, he wouldn't trade that in for, for anything, but uh, you see it. I mean, you kind of see it a little bit when he, obviously, his first, you know, you know, the Cleveland run did not go well. Cause he got, you know, he's just getting older, but you see in that first year, he's like 32 and, and is going neck and neck, you know, stats wise with exactly what he was doing, you know, in his prime with the Knicks or whatever. So you kind of see a little bit of, you know, what he was able to do when he was on his own. But yeah, like you're saying, it would be awesome to see, you know, prime uh, Frazier with, with, you know, a little bit of the, with the handcuffs off a little bit to, to just kind of free flow and, and have a little bit of his own fun. And, and maybe that was uh, a little bit of that game seven. Cause that was, you know, uncharacteristically a, a huge scoring uh, Frazier too. So maybe that was a little bit of what you were capable of getting from him, but yeah. right. Yeah. You know, whether he's going Kobe or going Westbrook in those situations, see whoever you want to pick as far as you just taking the ball and letting everybody get out of the way. I, I feel like, um, it would be interesting to see him just in a different environment. And, and you know, it, it, it just it, sort of a thought that uh, that popped up uh, going on. But obviously, he's, he was a fun guy to watch. You know, even more of an interesting personality, I think. Even his encore play was great, but even more, of course, the, 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 I think he's about more known for his color off the, off the court than he is on oh, the court, sure. even though obviously he was a great player and part of a great team. Uh, speaking of colorful characters, Bill Walton, 1977, uh, the, uh, the, the famed Blazers, another heavily mythologized team, of course, uh, thanks to breaks of the game. Um, and he was a series MVP there against the Sixers, uh, 18.5 points per game, 19 rebounds per game, and an incredible game six with 20 points, 23 rebounds, eight blocks, and seven assists. Uh, worth noting, uh, Dr. J had a pretty good series there, too. Uh, 30.3 points, 6.8 rebounds, five as- assists, uh, 2.7 steals, 1.2 blocks. Uh, you know, um, uh, leading his team in most of those uh, categories and absolutely, uh, you know, kind of giving it certainly – like those um, LeBron performances where um, you know he's brilliant despite his team losing. I think uh, Doc had quite a few of those as well, and certainly in this series. Well, it doesn't mean a thing without the ring. It's only rings. That's all. It there matters. you go. <laughs> but he, has, he has a commercial where you know it's all he, yeah, 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 all people. Yeah, he, he's telling me. Yeah. He's telling us on every single commercial break that you know it doesn't mean a thing without it. So okay. yeah. You know? It doesn't show those ABA rings in that commercial book. <laughs> it doesn't, it's a jerk. Yeah. And they're yeah. probably nicer because that ring that he shows is like the most boring ring ever. It's just like red. And I know that like title rings used to be, you know, and that now they're like these flashy jacks. But like the ring he yeah. puts on, it's just like a, a ring with like a little diamond in the middle. It's like, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm like, sure he, yeah, I'm sure he shows off the ABA. Maybe you have to be special. To what, do the ABA, ABA do, what do the ABA rings even look like? Do they even get rings or do they just get like a car? I feel like they would just get like a Cadillac and the ABA or something. Uh, the ABA, I, I believe they had rings, but that's a good question. I actually, I'm not 100% sure if they actually got ABA rings. I'm oh, I'm sure somebody these are awesome. Those oh, I hope these, oh, if this is the one, he should be showing this one off. It's got, oh, it's like the color yeah. of the ball. It's like, so it looks kind of like the CBS logo. I mean, it's obviously the ball, but it, it looks like a CBS logo because you got the big, you know, the, the, the pupil in the middle. So the top is red, the bottom is, is blue, and the middle is all diamond. That, he should wear this. This ring is way cooler. Oh man! Oh yeah, that is pretty nice. Yeah, oh, that's, See, cool. that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you need to wear that. Yeah, that's way cooler than that yeah. stupid Sixers one he's showing. So, 
Oh, there's Doctor. Okay, oh, there's yeah. well, you know, there they had Doctor J. Uh, there's there's a picture. If you look up ABA rings, uh, it's like the fourth uh, image search is 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 Dad Doctor J in his suits and, and tie wearing the ABA ring. But you can see how much cooler there is. There it is, right there in that picture. There's the ABA ring right next to that that boring ass you know Philadelphia 76ers ring. So there you go. Sorry, Doctor J. Well, well, there you go. <laughs> you do whatever yeah. you want to do. I mean, I'm I'm just saying. You know. That's... <laughs> Um, yeah, don't let's not insult him anymore. We he, he won't come back on the show, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Um, Evan yes, so there, course, so he's good. The, of course. Well, yeah, obviously. The uh, the Everybody great quote from from a uh, character Patrick of whenever Bill Walton rolled his arms over his head in those strange jerky circles, all of Multoma County came to his aid, but he was the straw that stirred. That was the uh, character Patrick of Sports Illustrated quote. So I'll jump ahead to 1980 now. This is Magic Johnson, uh, rookie year, of course. Uh, Magic wasted absolutely no time making his presence felt. Uh, he averaged 21.5 points, 11.2 rebounds, and 8.7 assists per game in the series. Uh, he clinched the, uh, NBA, the, the the finals MVP award pretty much off of his historic game six, uh, where he filled in for an injured Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He scored 42 points, had 15 rebounds, had seven assists, and you know played all five positions and all. You know, you know, there's tons of stuff that comes up about that game and in the mythology of that game performance but uh, that was quite a way to cap off his uh his rookie season but yeah it was it was interesting enough though so we have that 42 points in the in that game six uh magic johnson would not score 40 plus in a playoff game until 1990 you have to go 10 more years until he did it again i uh, scored 43 in consecutive games against the phoenix suns both in losses as well uh he'd follow it up the next year by scoring 44 against the golden state warriors and the Lakers would once again lose. So the key, other than in 1980, is Magic Johnson score under 40, and we will probably win a title. He scores yes. over 40, we're going to lose. So that's so worth noting in that that game. Uh, Jamal Wilkes also had 37 points, uh, 10 rebounds in. Uh, so a pretty good game from him as well. It's kind of get overlooked. And Kareem, of course, was was hurt. You know, couldn't play in that game. But for the series, had uh, 33.4 points, 13.6 rebounds, 3.2 assists. And 4.6 blocks. So a uh, nice uh, series from him. Doc in the loss again, 25.5 points, seven rebounds, five assists, uh, two steals, and 2.3 blocks. So, uh, so yeah, he, uh, again in defeat. But yeah, I feel like, um, I like that's a real like. I, so I had a Facebook discussion that I thankfully ended quickly once I realized that the guy <laughs> didn't know what I was talking about. But he was on Facebook. No, hold on. I know. <laughs> Wait, well, hold on. On, fa- on Facebook, there was a guy. That didn't yeah. know what he was talking about and was arguing no matter what. Yeah, so I was just mm. I just mentioned like, hey, Kareem, you know, has all this accomplishments. He doesn't really get discussed among the all time greats. Like, you know, uh, it, you know, it's just something there. And then he's like, well, he was second best player to Magic. You know, of course he's not going to get. It. I'm like, well, you know, like there was a the '70s first and second of all, like he, he and Magic were about, about as good as each other. Like until '80. Yeah. You know, so and he's like, "Well, Magic did like in, in Game Six while Kareem sat on the bench." I'm like, "Well, yeah, he sat on the bench." Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure. I'm like, Kareem was like, "I don't want to play tonight, guys. You got it." Yeah. Hey, so, Irvin, you got this, right? Get out there, bud. <laughs> right. So I, I'm like, eh, "Okay." Constant well, lazy player, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, always yeah. wanting to not play in games. And if there's if there's true. one thing that defines Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's legacy, it's not playing in games. I mean, that's absolutely. Like, yeah. Over his yeah. 20 years in the league was, yeah. ah, why bother? You know. <laughs> yeah. He didn't play like sixty thousand minutes or anything. <laughs> right, like, yeah, but, so yeah. Anyway, so that that was a uh, uh, so 
Yeah, I have podcasts, so I get to complain about Facebook conversations to it, and somebody gets to listen. So that's, uh, so, that's uh, pretty cool. It's something yeah. new that we learned on this show, that sometimes uh, Facebook arguments don't go uh, very well. And then, I, uh, I know. Well, I, I I think I disengaged before it became an argument, but I was like, okay, I don't need to waste my time with this. No, you have, I'm sure, more things, better things going on in your life than that. I'm sure it was a nice day to go out and take a walk or something. Yeah. yeah. I, I always tell people. Just... In fact, I did take a walk that day. So Good. Yeah, see, that's perfect. Yeah, even if it's raining, yeah. you're probably better off taking a walk than talking to argue with people on Facebook, particularly. And, Absolutely. Uh, NBA history related Facebook groups. So. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes I just want people to be like, sometimes I just want to tell people, like, I have a podcast. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. I'm, I don't like award I'm not, I host an award winning podcast. I once interviewed Dr. Yeah, yeah. J. All right. That's so. true. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so the next guy. Um, I always, got I, always got a name drop. We've done it twice already. <laughs> we have done it. That's yeah, pretty good. Yes. So uh, listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Uh, Bob, so, Ryan. Bob Ryan, too, came on this one. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. It's on my resume. So. George Carl. Yeah, did, you, George did you actually Carl. put that on your resume? I did, yeah. Good, you should. Yeah. You should. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jordan, uh, 1993. We he have not interviewed him yet. I don't believe so. Not yet, no. Uh, I know you'll ask about the gambling first, obviously. <laughs> we'll absolutely ask about the gambling, uh, <laughs> the time he punched Stacey King in practice, the time he punched uh, Kerr uh, yeah. in practice, the time he, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, I'll talk. Yeah, we'll, we'll get the Jordan interview you never thought you would hear, and I don't, absolutely. I don't know if it's going to last very long, and I don't think it'll air, but, you know. Yeah, probably yeah. not, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, he, uh, this was the third year of the three, <laughs> first three-peat, uh, playing against the Suns. And uh, Charles Barkley was won the MVP that year because he was great, and also people were sick of voting for Michael Jordan, apparently. Uh, so Jordan decided to destroy everyone in the uh, finals. He had uh, a finals record 41 points per game, 8.5 rebounds, 6.3 assists, 1.7 steals, uh, scored more than 30 for every single game in the series, including four more in four consecutive games. Of course, there was a, a triple overtime game in there, but he was amazing throughout the entire series. So, uh, Obviously, um, you know, you could pick a lot of great Jordan performances, but in terms of a complete series, it's hard to get better than this. Really, in terms in NBA history, it's hard to get better than this. Yeah, 41 points, that's pretty prolific. I mean, that that is really important too. And and yeah, uh, he scored more than 30 points in every single game of the series and 40 or more in four consecutive games. I mean, right there. That's that's those numbers just pop right off. Uh, I mean, the chart. I mean, this is absolutely, I think, the the the, the most complete of Jordan's finals performances, no doubt. Um, and, and yeah, just, uh, you can tell obviously he wanted to sort of show Parkley in the league, uh, that, you know, the, the MVP probably resided with him, but you know, Hey, there, there, we've, we've had a show about that where we kind of talked about it, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you could pick a lot of Jordan years, but I thought this one more than any of them jumped off the page and in terms of individual performance on Jordan's level, uh, where he really stood head and shoulders above, uh, everybody in the league and, and, and one of the great all time, uh, finals performances. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, and next, of course, you know, Kim Uh I, I think he's the best known in these playoffs for uh, taking it to David Robinson in their uh, in their series ring against the uh, Spurs. Uh, he averaged 35.3 points per game and 12.5 rebounds game, but also did great against the uh, against Shaq and the Magic um, averaged 32.8 points per game, 11.5 rebounds per game. It was a four game uh, sweep despite uh uh, looking like a uh, looking like it was going to be a really competitive series, the Houston obviously took it uh, pretty easily, won its second consecutive championship, and uh, he he beat a lot of great centers during that uh, playoff run. But absolutely, um, you know, really really gave it. Uh, it made Shaq play pretty well in that series as well. But he absolutely obviously you know they just dominated as a team in that series, despite being you know the underdogs throughout that entire playoff run, being the sixth seed. We talked about them in a prior episode with Adi Joseph, and yeah, some some great stuff there. 
Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that was, uh, of course, Houston's, you know, second consecutive finals uh, win and, and just a really all time. I mean, when you when you look, especially when you look at Hakeem's age at this point as well, I mean, this is a guy who, who should have been slowing down, but was really just kind of entering a, a sort of second prime or a new prime here. I mean, this is a guy who there were criticisms about him as well. I mean, in the early 90s of like, hey, when are you know, when are you going to do something here? When are you going to, you know, start uh, start getting some wins here? We're going to talk about a, another team here in a sec, which seems kind of silly in retrospect that people were kind of uh, questioning them, too. But yeah, the, Hakeem and, and, and Houston, I mean, it was a tenuous situation for a while there. Uh, and then he kind of put it together, this, you know, second run in him. And, and particularly this 1995 season, he really put everything together. And, and in, in that, you know, Western Conference Finals and then in the NBA Finals just really had uh, historic performances, not only for him, but, but almost all, all, all time historic performances on his level. And uh, speaking of, we'll go to 1999 here with Tim Duncan. And uh, this was the sophomore year for Tim Duncan. And he really took a step into superstar in this year. I uh, joined the all NBA team, uh, the all uh, defensive. He was on the first team for both of those. Uh, the Spurs, uh, they struggled at the beginning of the season, which is funny because Greg Popovich got a lot of crap because, you know, the year prior, uh, he fired Bob Hill and sort of took over coaching duties. Well, this was uh, his first season, and, you know, they started six and five, and there was this question of, oh, I don't know about this Popovich guy, like, in 1999, which is, is you know, again, in retrospect, pretty funny. Uh, they caught fire, though, in the second half of the season. Uh, they finished it on a 31-5 and five run. Uh, they carried that momentum through the playoffs all the way through the NBA Finals. Uh, and in the NBA Finals, Duncan once again really showed himself as the man. Um, obviously, you still have David Robinson there and a veteran cast, but this was Tim Duncan really emerging as like, okay, this is the man. This is the guy here. Uh, he won series MVP, and he helped San Antonio to win their first NBA title. Uh, he averaged 27.2 points per game and 14 uh, rebounds per game. Uh, interesting enough, though, some narratives around San Antonio at that time. This is from Sports Illustrated. This was in the uh, the report of the game. They said, San Antonio, uh, the monkey has finally been shed from their back, and they are no longer known as the San Antonio Softies. So, funny how it <laughs> has a ring to it. San Antonio Softies. I like it, yeah. So, pretty funny yeah. how, you know, A, well, we've talked about that before, too, where, like, the Spurs were really fucking good, you know, really good for, like, a decade. I mean, pretty much since David Robinson showed up. They were good, and and you know when Tim Duncan comes, it's kind of another you know you know shot at, you know, you know jolt to the team or whatever. And then now yeah. they've had this run of you know twenty five years of being great, but it's kind of funny that like they because they didn't win a title, they were the softies and the monkey was on their back and all sort of stuff. But it's like they won like fifty games, weren't <laughs> in a mix in the Western Conference Finals like every single year, uh, you know, almost throughout the entire nineties, and and then yeah. of course uh, the the rest of the two thousands, and then uh, really the early parts of the two thousand tens as well. So. Yeah, well, but the, could they do it when it mattered? That's that's the question. Oh, of course, rings. Yeah, right, rings. rings. Yeah, absolutely. You know, something that occurred to me today: there was only six years between Duncan's rookie season and LeBron's rookie season. Yeah, which seems nuts because it it really does seem like Tim Duncan is like fifteen years older than than LeBron or, or should yeah. be. Yeah, that I mean, is, that now, is wild. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Duncan, you know, he's twenty two when he, you know, he was a senior. Obviously, he was like the last really big, you know, four year college player. Uh, and then obviously LeBron was eighteen, so it's there's a difference in age, but uh, a bigger difference in age than just six years. But that's just really like they they feel like. I mean, obviously, they played a long time and they had the rivalry and all that play. They played three finals, but it is really. It's just kind of weird to think about that they're relatively close in, um, you know, career age, just despite having, you know, uh, feeling like they're part of different eras in a way. Yeah, and 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 really the the part that 
is amazing. It's just that LeBron was has been in the league since you know you know two thousand three, two thousand four. I mean, it's just that that's almost the nuts part in a lot of ways. Is because it just when you look at it in two thousand seventeen, and he's still in the prime. And we talked about you know how great his his performance was. It just seems like yeah, it seems like he's not of that era, but he's really. I mean, he is the mid two thousands when it's really like I think of the late two thousands and really kind of the early two thousand tens as like the LeBron era. But I mean, this guy pretty much arrived on the scene. I mean, he's in the NBA Finals in two thousand seven, like ten years ago. He was in the NBA Finals, so it's it's kind of crazy in that respect. So yeah, there there are often times where I, I just kind of lose track of oh geez like he's been in the league this long and like his crossover with a lot of guys is is, is, is pretty telling and and a lot of the guys that he comes in with or, or came in with are you know slowing down or really getting you know to the end of their career and he's you know really got in my mind a few you know more <laughs> real solid you know all-time great seasons still in his belt or, or you know in his back pocket so it'll be interesting to see how it yeah. progresses uh so we go on not too far the next year, Shaquille O'Neal in the year 2000. Uh, he Another guy had been criticized for not necessarily delivering when it matters, obviously. Even though he played reasonably well, the uh, Magic were swept in the 95 finals. Uh, but his first uh, chance at the title with the Lakers after they got Phil Jackson, um, a, a few years after he had joined, uh, he uh, scored 43, 40, 33, 36, 35, and 41 in that series to average 38 points per game, 16.7 rebounds per game on uh, 61% shooting. Uh, basically destroyed uh, Rick Smith, Dale Davis, and uh, Sam Perkins on the uh, Pacers to just uh, completely uh, uh, trash the Pacers. So the, the Pacers randomly won a game five by 33 points. So just a, a sort of a weird anomaly that obviously was I think, <laughs> right. taken care of in uh, game six when the Lakers won only by five. I, actually, most of these games were fairly close. Other than yeah, the- that's that's kind of funny. Yeah. Cause was, and that's why I brought that up is because like I, I always think of the series as like the Pacers were just lucky to be there and the Lakers just kind of stomped on them. But really, they didn't. And like you look, a lot of the games were close. And like, yeah, there's that 33 point game. Like I, I, I haven't done like I haven't run the numbers of like the point differential, but I would almost be surprised if it's like not that large in the favor of, of Los Angeles at all. I mean, it's, it's pretty telling because I, I always think of that series as just, yeah, the Lakers just blowing through Indiana. And, and when you look at the talent of the two rosters, it kind of makes sense that that would happen, but it, it really wasn't the case. Yeah, uh, that is really weird. Yeah, the, the points are extremely uh, close in uh, the series. I mean, it, yeah, it's really uh, like only a few points to kind of separate them, even though because because that yeah, I mean, it's kind of an anomaly. Obviously, thirty three point win. Yeah, but, of course, yeah, right. uh, but but yeah, that is really random. That's uh, that that's interesting. I, I only remember that series vaguely. It's been a long time since I kind of revisited it. So, um, but yeah, my memory of that is like my memory of that whole Lakers run is that all those guys in those finals, the just Shaq had no one to kind of uh, compete against in those. He, he just dominated all those centers and they were mostly guys who he just, you know, some of them were good, uh, but they just guys who were not equipped to deal with uh, Shaq at all. I mean, it, and when he was absolutely at his best and most focused and in best shape and all that, that really came out during the finals during this time. I mean, he absolutely was the, um, kind of dominant guy, and obviously he was, he was very dominant throughout his entire career. Even when he wasn't necessarily at his peak, he still you know did so much because of you know his skill and size and power and all that good stuff. But yeah, this is absolutely this is about as good as he ever got. Yeah, I, I that's that's kind of the vivid memory I have of that entire is just like Shaq like getting the ball in the post, making one move, and then just like throwing his nuts in like Matt Geiger's face or you know Aaron Williams or Todd McCulloch or or you know just the, this this roving cast of just guys that are just like oh god I gotta guard Shaq tonight like he's just gonna kill me and just like yeah if Shaq got in the post and he got any amount of position it was over he was just d- turning around and ducking it in your face every single time and the rebounds too I mean he was just grabbing every single rebound as well and that's something that you know 
uh, people maybe criticize Shaq for not being as prolific of a rebounder as he might maybe, you know, should. But not in this area, he was absolutely just amazing at pulling out rebounds. I mean, he was getting, you know, 20 pretty regularly. And, you know, in this finals, as you mentioned, you know, averaged 16.7 rebounds. Uh, also shot 61% too. So it was just like always at the rim, always just dunking in people's faces. Just incredible stuff from, from Shaq in this area, particularly thousand year which really stands out yeah. uh move ahead to uh, oh, another check season actually oh just one more thing uh one more todd mccullough re- related a note i didn't realize that he actually played for the sixers in 01 and the nets in 02 again i thought Chats he was there series. yeah okay i didn't know that yeah. he actually I, I was wondering that so that kind of sucks he's like oh not again like, <laughs> yeah no i'm just getting over the defeat see i want i thought he was on but i thought he came to the nets after uh that, that series so i'm glad to know that that he also got his nuts put in his face. <laughs> he got Shaq's yeah. nuts put in his face uh, and, another and season after. Too, yeah, so. yeah. He only played one more season after that, so I guess he figured it. You know, that was uh, <laughs> that was enough. You know? And now he plays like semi-pro pinball. Oh, nice! Do you know that? Did you have you ever seen that? I had not seen that. So no. It's kind of depressing because like he can't like move because his feet and legs hurt so much or whatever. So like that kind of sucks. But yeah, he uh, he does like pinball world championships and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Uh, Pretty cool there. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm 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 team Brad, I'm, I'm team Tim McCulloch on that because I always yeah. thought he was kind of a you know, loser, and then I found out that he was in a pinball. I'm like, oh no, right, he's awesome. I, absolutely, that is the most awesome thing ever. Obviously, yeah, that's yeah, a cool yeah. thing. So if anybody yeah. can appreciate the coolness of you know playing semi pro or professional uh, pinball, it is you and I. So that's uh, uh absolutely pretty good there. Anyway, yes. yeah, <laughs> I'll move on to another Shaq team here, 2006. But we're not going to talk about Shaq. We're going to talk about his teammate. Uh, Dwayne Wade. So Wade in the season put the heat on his back, guiding them to their first NBA championship. Uh, games three, four, and five are really the impressive ones here. Wade scored 42, 36, and 43 points. Uh, this helped the Heat come back from an 0-2 deficit uh, against the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, and then Wade scored uh, 36 in the uh, sixth and final game. Uh, Wade would become the fifth youngest player in NBA history to capture the NBA Finals MVP. He would also, uh, he had the third highest points per game of a player in his first NBA Finals with 34.7. Unfortunately, I was unable to find who the other two were because every link that I clicked, I was broken, but uh, kind of sucks there. But uh, averages for that series, uh, 34.7 points per game, 7.8 rebounds per game. Uh, but more importantly, though, he averaged 16.2 free throws per game uh, and hit 77% of those. But the 16.2 free throws per game still make me mad as I uh, grew up a, a big Mavs fan, and that series still angers me greatly. So I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yes, um, I'm almost certain that uh, I know that one of those is Rick Barry, who had uh, the highest until Jordan broke it. He had the highest uh, uh, most points in an NBA finals. My guess would either be Baylor or Wilts for the other one, although I um, that seems. Yeah, those both seem. Yeah. So um, because it's hard to get in the NBA finals, you you know, when yeah, or your first NBA finals and you're already in kind of in your prime for some guys. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine those two are probably. Uh, yeah, Kareem might be up there too. He yeah. had a lot in that series. So, but anyway, I'm sure I'm sure someone will know the answer and will. Uh, I tried. Every link was broken, and, yes. and you can't do a play index search for just finals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is tough. Yes, yeah. we'll have to we'll have to figure out a way to uh, uh to get some of that information and maybe do something with it. Although this is definitely a great look at uh, some of the best NBA finals either. But I'd be curious about like kind of comprehensive uh, numbers for that because <laughs> that would be really interesting. So. Um, uh, so we, uh, we end with, uh, LeBron James in, uh, 2015. And, uh, this was, uh, the first time against the Warriors in which, uh, LeBron, the first time Cavs Warriors, first, first of three, of course, and, uh, LeBron only had reached the finals for the fifth straight year. So not, uh, you know, uh, not really that impressive compared to eight, but, uh, 
or I seven, but uh, but still, obviously, uh, I mean, I'm kidding. Obviously, it's still really impressive, and the first player to have done so since the '60 uh, Celtics. Um, and uh, both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. Kevin Love was was out at this point, and Kyrie Irving uh, only played, I, I believe, two games in or only one game in the series. Um, yeah, I think he was injured at the end of game one and basically out for the rest of the series. So, uh, but despite that, he just shouldered a, an extremely heavy burden, probably greater than maybe anybody in NBA history in a, in a final series. Uh, 35.8 points, 13.3 points per game, uh, 8.8 assists, scored 40 points in half of the games, 39 in another game. Uh, his worst game was 20 points, 12 rebounds, and 8 assists. Obviously a very uh, complete game. Uh, the one... Um, Negative is that, as, as I talked talk about uh, a little bit earlier, the efficiency was down. He only shot uh, just under 40% from the field, 31% from three points. Um, but, you know, the Cavs, uh, you know, they were able to take it to six games by, you know, really controlling the uh, pace of the uh, game. And um, and obviously LeBron had a lot to do that because he basically had the ball in his hands um, almost the entire time. Um, if you look at his uh, usage, it was over 40%, which is uh, incredibly high. Uh, you know, that was uncharted territory in terms of, you know, season usage until Westbrook this year. But that's, that's the kind of level of usage that he had to have. So, you know, uh, a, a 48 true shooting percentage is, is not good, but given the context of everything else he had to do is, is understandable. And I, and I agree without an absolute like dominant individual warrior in that series, he probably should have been the MVP, but I, I do understand kind of the reasoning behind, you know, giving it to him or giving it to Iguodala or Curry, you know, in that series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think this is all as finals performances go is and ones that I've seen and that I remember and, you know, watching, you know, live and following live. This is probably my favorite ever because it was LeBron, as you said, sort of take that team, you know, without Kyrie and without love, it was not a great team. I mean, the depth wasn't really quite there. I mean, I would argue that this year's, you know, Cavs team has, has got a little bit more depth uh, than even those teams had because it's really like Matt Dellavedova and like, you know, Anderson. Ver- I mean, it, it was not a really deep team here and and to have LeBron do what he was able to do. And it's not necessarily, you know, the numbers really pop out and numbers, you, you know, maybe efficiently, efficiently don't uh, look all that great, but the, the, the counting stats look great. But more than that, it was just that like seeing what he was able to do and seeing how he was able to make it a series against the Warriors when, when that team was just so much more talented than what LeBron's team had. Uh, this was one of the greater individual performances I had ever seen in NBA Finals of, of him just literally willing that entire team to to get to, you know, as many games as they even got to when, when they really had no business being in that series whatsoever. So that's always one that I, I definitely remember, even if, you know, efficiently it, it wasn't that greater on paper it doesn't always look you know the best it was just one that i remember you know watching and, and the eye test was just like oh my god this dude has to do everything and he's doing everything and his team is you know giving the warriors a run for their money which is just incredible yeah uh, yeah I, I couldn't agree more i mean absolutely yeah it, it's one where the numbers i mean they are impressive but compared to some of other his other finals and you know playoff runs uh you know th- he's had better statistically and, and maybe he's at, performed better you could definitely argue even this year the way he performed may, maybe was better but just in terms of the burden that he took and just how much he was um controlling you know what his team was doing and how much you know, he kind of individually did um throughout i i think it, it's hard to um hard to beat what he did that year so uh thanks everyone for checking us out as always you can find us at the step back at fansided.com you can also uh subscribe rate us on itunes stitcher wherever you uh listen to your podcast we are probably there so we would appreciate a rating and review because it helps uh make us feel good of ourselves and that's important in these days uh and also you can follow us on twitter and facebook at over back NBA. so thanks for
Thanks for listening, and we're back again soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.